welcome to the online service of Calvary Community Church here in Williams Bay. We're glad you're joining us today. Before we start our service, I thought it would be fun for us to have a few minutes and talk with Pastor Timmy Hanks. He's our pastor of counseling here at Calvary. And um, if you're like me, uh, you've had conversations with all sorts of people who are feeling anything from frustration to fear. And uh, everywhere in between, um, This we're six, seven weeks into this now. And so uh, I thought it would be so, just really good to, to talk with you, Timmy, and ask a couple of questions and see how you can help us to maybe think a little differently uh, and and take some thoughts captive, as Paul talks about in, in the letter to Corinth. So frustration and fear, uh, you're probably seeing the same thing, right? Yeah, pretty much uh, regularly. A lot of people are on the, on the continuum. Some people are really appreciating having yard time and, and getting things done and projects around the house and other people are are uh, they have their screen doors and windows closed and locked down because they're they're totally in a place of fear and being scared and I can we, we can understand both ends of that continuum. Really, what you're looking at is is kind of the there's a, a crisis model that says there's we're looking for uh, an accelerated recovery. <clears throat> um, with normal people to an abnormal event and so the to recover from what we're going through requires resilience it requires adaptability it requires yeah some of our old routines are not going to be in play but right now there are some things that I can certainly take captive and control and begin to implement although it may be outside my wheelbox because most of us don't have the coping skills to handle this uh COVID-19 thing that uh, pretty much is global now. So yeah, a lot of it is just taking things captive and understanding what is it that I can do? What are some of the opportunities that I have to, uh, to stay connected with intentionality to people? So what would you say to the people who are wrestling with fear? Well, if you if you go to God's Word, uh, we all know that uh, um, Timothy's a great name. <laughs> Can't help but put that in there. But in that passage, um, he specifically says, "I didn't give you a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power, one of love, and one of a sound mind." And so, if I can get back in the truth of that and apply that practically in my life. Um, there are ways that I can begin to mitigate my fear or lessen my fear by paying attention to the things that I can do in his strength. Easily, if I, if I gave you maybe just a couple of things um, to stay connected, uh, because the more you are relationally connected with people, the less you may find that you fear. If you stay in your own thoughts and you're ruminating and you're worrying and you're not connecting, then you may find you've, you've just worked yourself into kind of one of those pits that's hard to get out of. So some of the suggestions would be, um, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a family member, whether it's somebody that you have a relationship with, uh, am I taking the time to, to seek them out? Am I praying with them? Uh, so, for instance, if it's on the phone or <clears throat> or you write a letter or FaceTime or Zoom, whatever your way of connecting is within some intentionality, prayer can be helpful. Um, am I asking uh, questions that are 
intentional and not how are the Packers doing or, gee, when's the sailing season going to start? It's how are you really doing and what are some of the things that you're learning about yourself and how are you doing in this time that is difficult for, for almost everybody? Um, are you looking for opportunities to stay uh, intentionally uh, consistent with people? Hey, how about if I called you once a week? just to stay in touch and, and see how things are going. Uh, am, I oper- am I using the opportunity to maybe reflect or share um, something that's been significant in my own life or that we may have as friends together as an anecdotal story that we can reflect on that might put a smile or a laugh on both of our faces? Uh, as the body of believers, we, we have the privilege of doing that with each other. Am I maybe looking for an opportunity to to model something um, in a way where, particularly with uh, younger kids in the house, if they're seeing that their parents are stressed and having a hard time coping, then they're going to pick up some of those patterns, whereas uh, a mom and a dad in a household or the mom or a dad um, in some of the separated families, they can specifically look to, okay, we, we don't know how that we're the, the new rules that we're putting in our household here, what are some things that, that we can huddle together and, and look to change, um, to adapt and to be resilient to some of the things that we can do that may be a little bit different because we don't have some of the things that we used to be able to do. And so just that way of coping and talking and <clears throat> staying connected, I think, is really important for our families. So maybe one more question for you. I know a lot of the families at home are now schooling at home, and uh, that's a little bit different for them. And um, probably now five or six weeks into this, there's some tensions that are mounting and things like that. And I know when we were talking about this in staff meeting, you had a couple of things that would just could be an encouragement. I'm sure proud of you, uh, you parents who are out there and – some of you are working full-time and then trying to do the schooling. And so just really appreciate that and know that we're praying for you. But what are some pointers that maybe? Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things that, that um, most kids thrive on, um, they thrive on predictability. Um, they, they need to know what's going to happen next. And so in this time of COVID-19, some of the predictability of of uh, what we have enjoyed is not what it used to be. And so you need to maybe address that specifically. Um, Another piece is routine. Um, If it's helpful for you, think of the acronym of PRESS, P-R-E-S-S. So P would be predictability, R would be routine, E would be expectations. You know, we have our routines, we have our expectations, those things that we are used to, to doing in, in our daily lives. Um, the, the S would be schedule, my schedule. I'm up at 5.45 in the morning. I'm out the door. I got the coffee brewing, and, and I'm here early in the morning. Uh, many times it's a race to see who's going to turn the alarm off at the church. Well, that schedule's changed, and I don't need to be in here at 7 uh, most days. And so th- what I'm used to, even in my own life, is, is changing. Uh, whether you have more yard time, whether you have projects, whether you can come up with some ingenious ideas around the house to 
um, keep your kids busy, or, or just think through some of those things. And then the last S is a sense of safety and connectedness. When kids see how mom and dad, or mom or dad are handling things, they tend to pick up those traits. And so if you can sit down with your kids at the kitchen table and say, okay, here are some of the things that we want to be able to work with with you. Let's look at some things that the old way is gone, but let's use some of those things that we all know, predictability, routines, okay, uh, expectations, schedules, and do you feel sense of safety? And when your kids can engage in some of that dialogue in a way where they feel they have a seat at the table and some of the things and maybe the ideas that they had are part of what you're talking about as a family, um, boy, that, that goes a long way. They have a sense of empowerment. They, you can shape plans together. And using some of the things that you were used to, all you're doing is adapting into what we're all trying to figure out. And really, nobody's written a book on this. Uh, not <laughs> so, yet. Not yet. Yeah. Thanks, Timmy. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thanks so much for Timmy. Thanks for these words of encouragement, this PRESS acronym. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd guard us from fear and frustration. I pray that you'd help us to uh, focus on you. And now as we turn our hearts towards our worship service, Lord, we pray that uh, you'd be blessed as we lift your name on high. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, Timmy, people could call if they need, leave a message in the office. You'll call them back. We're going to turn this over to your sister now. She's going to be opening our service for us. That's pretty cool, huh? Yay, Deb. Yay. <laughs> awesome. All right. God bless. How good it is to know that the world will know us by our love. I love that Jesus says that in John chapter 13. He says, by this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And so this message today celebrates and looks at what is it to love one another. And I love that as we continue in this, in looking at Hebrews, that we come to chapter 13, which I, I've, I've said last week, I really believe is the so what to the sermon that he's just preached. And um, so we're going to come to some practical applications as we continue to wrestle through what does it mean to live by faith? And especially in in this pandemic response and in the days and times that we live and uh, the uncertainties that are there, as we talked about earlier in the service with Timmy and I, to think about the frustration and fear that, that these things can cause. And I believe the passage that we're looking at today is going to help us identify exactly ways that we can continue to work to take that frustration and fear and put it in the proper place in our lives. So today we're looking at living by faith, brotherly love, love as, as a family. And uh, the big idea for today is that pleasing worship of God reveals itself in brotherly love that continues. So let's pray and we'll jump into God's word. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for Hebrews. Thank you for the author. Thank you for preserving this letter, this sermon for us. And as we look, Lord, at these practical things that, that you revealed to us in this passage, I pray, Father, that we'd be able to see how they impact our lives right now today, how um, your, your word, your, your amazing word that is living and active will be living and active in our lives. 
God, you know each person. You know each person who's listening, who's watching, who's tuning in, and you know exactly what they're experiencing at this moment in time. And my Father, I pray that you would use the power of your word to speak into our lives, that we can we can gather together in this way, hear from you, and, and leave from this gathering in a way that we're changed, more the men and women that you've designed us to be. So, Father, we ask that you speak because your children are listening. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So even as we call God Father, and even as we say, God, your children are listening, and we say that we're children, what we need to understand is we are part of the family of God. And that's why the author of Hebrews, as he expands on, um, on what it means to have worship that's pleasing to God, the way that chapter 12 closed out was um, that we should offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And so this idea of what is pleasing worship, and then he goes through in chapter 13 and begins to give identifying characteristics of people who are worshiping God in a way that's pleasing to him. And so this isn't necessarily a laundry list of things that we need to be doing, although so many times that's how we can approach Scripture. Rather, what he's telling us as he, as he gives us these exhortations or these challenges or this urging to do these things is that as we walk closely with the Lord, these are the characteristics that will reveal themselves in our lives. They're the things that will naturally be part of who we are. And so at the same time as they're naturally part of who we are as children of God, as brothers and sisters together, we need to challenge each other and exhort one another regularly to be remembering to have these things be a part of our lives. So that's what we're looking at here today. And the first thing we look at is let brotherly love continue. And we see that love continues to those who are known. Brotherly love continues to those who are known. And that's what this whole idea of brotherly love means. Now, for us, it's pretty readily available for us to understand the original word for brotherly love. Because the original word for brotherly love in the Greek is Philadelphia. And so we can all relate to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And uh, Philadelphia is actually named after an ancient Greek city, Philadelphia, which is mentioned in the, in the book of Revelation. But it was also a city that was named by William Penn, who was a, a, a devout Quaker and was very interested in, in having the love of God displayed even to the Native Americans, the the um, the people from whom he bought the land so that the city could be named. And that's part of the reason that the city was named Philadelphia. And so it's this idea of brotherly love. And it says, as, as, he, as he talks to this people, he says, let brotherly love continue. So what I love about that is it's clear that brotherly love was a part of what they were doing anyway this Philadelphia, this caring for each other as part of the family of God. As we step into this pandemic response, one of the things I've noticed is the distancing can cause this to be hard. 
When this first began, we started hearing about social distancing. And lately, as I've been listening, I've heard it referred to as physical distancing. And, uh, and those two things both mean the same thing. Social distancing and physical distancing mean the same thing. But could I suggest they say something quite different? Um, as even as I hear social distancing, it causes me to start to think, well, maybe I need to, to view this isolation. I, I need to distance myself socially. But I think when we hear the word physical distancing, what we can do is we can relate to the fact that I need to have a physical distance between someone who may potentially um, be infectious. And the difference, I believe, in my mind and, in, and maybe in yours as well, is I still need to be socially connected. God has created us as social beings. We're designed to be in a family. We're designed to to be with each other, to love one another. And and so even as we look at what it means to to have physical distancing, that gets really hard in a family. I know I'm going to be a little honest here. I haven't physically distanced from Karen. Okay, I still give her hugs, still give her kisses, and, and I'm not physically distancing myself from her. And and there's other members of my family that I'm not physically distancing from. And And so as we look at that and we see that, we realize that that social aspect, that social closeness that we need is important. And so I want to urge us to see that, that as we think of brotherly love continuing, as, as we look at that in the culture that we live in, we need to be able to understand that even though we need to be physically distant, we still need to be socially connected. And so what does that look like? It looks like brotherly love. And what does brotherly love look like when we can't be together in the same room, when we can't give each other hugs and those types of things? Well, it looks like giving people phone calls regular phone calls it's touching base with people it's it's having regular times that you that you converse with others maybe you do that through facebook maybe you do it through through zoom meetings or or phone calls or postcards or all sorts of different ways that you can reach out and touch people with the love of christ you can do drive-bys of people's houses and wave at them and honk and put signs in the windows and there's all sorts of ways that you continue to take your brothers and sisters in christ and let them know that you're that you're together with them and i think it's so important to realize that for us to have worship of god that's pleasing this brotherly love of those that we know needs to continue. So I urge you, as you're, as you're thinking about this, to, to think about this as physical distancing, but remain socially close. Let this brotherly love continue so that the world can see how we worship God. The next thing we see in our passage is um, that uh, we are to love uh, continually those who are strangers, and uh, the author of Hebrews moves on and he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And so there's this great verse and I could remember knowing this verse when, when I was a kid and thinking how cool it would be to think that somebody came to my house who was an angel. And, uh, and so I think a lot of times as we look at this verse in chapter 13, we can get pretty excited about the angelic aspect of it. 
but to realize that the exhortation is not to look for angels. The exhortation or challenge here is to entertain strangers. It's to show hospitality. And the author says, don't neglect that. And again, I think under the response to the pandemic that we have, I think this this response can cause us, if we're not careful, to neglect showing hospitality. And again, it, it boils down to how distant do I have to be to some from somebody? How close can I be to them? And so we're not really sure what the rules are right now. And so if we're careful, we can neglect being hospitable. Now that word hospitality in the original language is philozenia. Philozenia. And so Philadelphia, Philozenia. Philadelphia is love of brothers. Philozenia is love of strangers. So it's this idea where he's, he's using a play on words here to help, to help this church understand that it was something that they should not neglect or should not forget. Not only did they need to be showing love to each other, but they needed to be showing love to those on the outside as well. Now, in the culture that they lived in, in the first century, what would happen is people were able to travel pretty easily. The Roman roads allowed for people to travel. It allowed for people to move back and forth from city to city. But it wasn't always the safest, especially when it came to staying overnight. When people stayed overnight, if they checked into an inn, it would more than likely be very expensive. And they weren't always the safest places. So especially for traveling teachers and speakers, they would be looking for homes that they could stay in. So initially, what our author is speaking of is to entertain those other brothers and sisters from communities you may not know to be able to come and show them hospitality in your house so that they have a safe place and a place that's economical to stay so that the ministry of God can go forward. But extends even farther to those we don't know within reason. One of the great examples of this, and, and I believe with all my heart that, that this would be where the readers of this letter would have gone first. Remember that for us, a lot of times as we look at a, at a book like we are with Hebrews and we're, we're breaking it down into sections and we're looking at each section, if we're not careful, what happens is each one of these verses or sections begins to stand on its own. And we need to remember that this verse... In chapter 13, verse 2, that talks about showing hospitality to strangers because you might entertain angels unaware, that's part of the context of the whole of the book of Hebrews and especially of this last section. And in this last section, we're reminded about Abraham and the faith of Abraham, and he is our example. And so as we look at this, one of the greatest examples of someone who was hospitable to those who were strangers and ended up... Uh, entertaining angels is Abraham in chapter 18 as two angels came with the Lord to visit Abraham and and uh, I encourage you to read that this week and look at Genesis 18 19 and and how Abraham entertained and provided hospitality for those strangers and they ended up being angels and so it's it's an example that we see in scripture and an example that's there for us to follow we're looking at this, this amazing idea that pleasing worship of God reveals itself in brotherly love that continues. Continues to those that are known. It continues to those that aren't known. And then it continues to those who are suffering. 
And the author says, um, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. So he steps into their lives again and talks to them about those who are in prison. And we remember that in chapter 10, as we looked at that in verses 32 and forward, he talked about how they had already done this. And so it's not something they haven't done. It's something that has been part of who they are and part of their makeup. They have, they have cared for those who are in prison. And again, at this point in time, that was really important because if a person was in prison at this point in time, they would be very, very uh, dependent upon the help that would come from the outside. They wouldn't receive food or water or any of the basic needs unless somebody from the outside would bring them in. And so it was really important if someone was in prison that someone from the outside was caring for them. And so as the author talks to them, he says, you need to, you need to think about those who are in prison as if you were there yourself. It's not always easy to do, is it? To think of the situation someone has as if it's the situation I have. But that's what the author of Hebrews gets at here. He says, when you think about those who are in prison, and he's talking here about those who are in prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about those who are mistreated because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And he says that we should... We should be remembering them because we're also in the body. Now, it's pretty quick for us to jump to that means that we're all part of the body of Christ. And if this was Paul's letter, then that's what that would mean. But that's not what that means here. In the original text, what this is talking about is since you have a body, you understand what it is for a body to get mistreated. And so because of that, we're supposed to be able to remember those who are in prison, those who are suffering, those who are being mistreated. I know for us in America, that can be hard. And maybe now it's a little easier during the pandemic because there's some things that are happening. But, but even so, unless we get a global understanding of what's happening in, in the world, we don't realize that every day, eight people are put to death at least eight people, are put to death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so part of the reason that we look at the persecuted church each month is because my heart is for us to become aware of other places where people are, are being imprisoned, where they're being mistreated because they have faith in Jesus Christ. And, and it's my heart and my desire that we'll fill out this verse that we will remember them as if we were in that same situation with them. So this week, we're looking at Algeria. And Algeria is number 17 on the World Watch list. And there's a source of persecution that's Islamic oppression. There's 42 million people, 129,000 of them are Christians. Look at those numbers, friends. And when we look at this as number 17 on the world watch list, they've moved up uh, five places, I believe, this year. 
because it's it's ramping up. In Algeria, you can see is in northern Africa. It's the largest, one of the largest countries in Africa. And you can see the violence and the pressures that come on church life, national life, community life, churches that are shut down, believers that are beat, and, and those kinds of things that happen. And so as we as we look at these churches that are suffering persecution, my heart is that as we do that, we come to a place where we begin to understand what that persecution is as if we were feeling it ourselves. One of the stories that that is shared on Open Doors is of a woman who uh, was in a Nigerian community, and she was attacked by Islam militants who forced their ways into her home. They saw a Bible in the room and assumed that her husband was a pastor. Immediately, they grabbed him and took him away. She assumed they would kill him. And then the man demanded sex from her. When she refused, they beat her up, and two of her attackers raped her. This isn't uncommon in these countries that are facing persecution. And so, acceptable worship, pleasing worship of God, is worship that brings us together in brotherly love that helps us understand this persecution as if we were feeling it ourselves. The next thing that we see in our passage is that love continues to honor sexual purity. Let marriage be held in high honor among all. Let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So as our author comes along, he's speaking to a group of people, and he's saying to them, Another way that we can have really acceptable worship, pleasing worship of God, is to honor marriage. And that word that's um, translated honor in this verse is a word that in many other places is, is translated as precious. So, so it's this idea of honoring marriage because it's precious. And the reason we honor marriage as being precious is because God is the one who, who established marriage. And that happened in Genesis chapter 2 as he, as he brought Adam and Eve together and declared that they would become one flesh. And marriage by God's design is this amazing institution where a man and woman come together and, and join together for their, for their life. And they join together in a way that, that they become one in God's sight. And they come together in a precious union, a precious union that's to be honored and, and they do that in a way that allows them to fulfill the mission that God has for them in the world. And it's within that amazing institution of marriage, in the way that God designed it, that sex is supposed to happen. Any kind of sex that happens outside of that relationship is, is sex that is, is, is defiled. It's, it's, it's sin in God's sight. And God says, listen... Marriage is so precious, and marriage is to be honored so much that that, that marriage bed is not to be defiled. And, and that word undefiled means not is unpolluted. It's pure. It's, it's untainted. And so he, it goes on to say that the reason that we do that is because God is going to judge those who are sexually immoral and adulterous. Listen, if you're in a marriage relationship, that's a precious, and, and it's a, a, a relationship that needs to be honored. And it needs to be honored not only emotionally, not only spiritually, but physically as well. 
And so as we look at that, we see that it talks about those who are sexually immoral and those who are adulterous. Now, sexually immoral is are those who are finding sex wherever they can outside of marriage. There are people who are married, not married, whatever the case may be, but they're finding sexual fulfillment outside of marriage. And that can happen in pornography, whether that's in, in print or in digital or virtual pornography, or or it can happen in 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 just taking inappropriate relationships with people. And and so there there's this idea that, that anything that's sex outside of marriage is sexually immoral. But then there's adulterous relationships as well. And these are relationships of people who are married, who are who are having relationships outside of their marriage. And again, those can be virtual things or or they can be actual practical things. Remember that Jesus, when he was confronted with this, says, if you have lusted, you have committed adultery. And so it's this idea that even the lust aspect of this needs to be brought in control if we're going to have acceptable worship of God. Because acceptable worship reveals itself in, in, a, in a marriage that is considered precious. And this doesn't speak to the fact that a person has to be married in order to have pleasing worship. That's not what that's talking about. God uses single people in amazing ways as well. But it's also helping us understand that it's not that, that singleness or celibacy is to be preferred over marriage. Rather, God has a call for both of these things. And so love continues as we, as we honor the institution of marriage as God has designed it. F.F. Bruce has a wonderful quote that says, chastity is not opposed to charity, but is part of it. Now, those are some old words. It's an older quote, but it's this idea of keeping sex within the marriage is not opposed to love. It's part of love. It's part of the expression of love. It's part of the response to God's love for us. The final thing that the author of Hebrews exhorts us to take care of is the fact that love continues to rest in the provision of God. Love continues to rest in the provision of God. Keep your life from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what command do to me. I love this passage. This passage is so powerful, and, and it speaks to the idea of love of money. It's important to realize that money in and of itself is not evil. Money is, is something that God uses, and he entrusts us with money, and he entrusts us to be stewards of that money. So it's not money that's the problem. It's the love of money. And... And uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it talks about how people who have a love for money fall into temptation and a trap, um, and, and that the love of money is roots of all kinds of evil. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. And so as we look at that, we see that the love of money can actually take us away from a sense of contentment. Our verse says that we need to keep our lives free from the love of money so that we can be content with what we have. 
And contentment is, is so powerful. In that same chapter of 1 Timothy, Timothy says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So what is contentment and what does it look like? I know as I've been talking to some people, this is something that can really seem elusive right now. And even for myself, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this in the midst of all the things I'm feeling as, as the rules are changing, I think is the way Tim said it. Um, it's this idea that I don't know what the rules are anymore, and that can be frustrating, and it can cause me to feel discontent. Um, I would imagine that it, it, depending on your lifestyle, what's happening, um, if your job has changed a lot, if you've lost your job, if you don't know where the where the next check is coming from, maybe you haven't received the stimulus check yet, um, and and you really need it, and or maybe you've received the stimulus check and you're at a point where you don't need it and you're holding it, wondering what to do with it, and and you know, or or maybe you're you're just anxious about all this. What does it mean to be content? And I think as I've thought about that. I think there's a great difference between contentment and complacency. There's a big difference between contentment and complacency. Contentment says, I understand. Complacency says, I don't care. Contentment brings a calmness, whereas complacency can bring a bitterness. And so as we come into the situation and, and the the author of Hebrews says, listen, don't get hung up on loving money. Don't get hung up. And, and that's a, it's, it's specifically talking about the love of money, but he's talking about contentment. And it's interesting that this follows on the passage about marriage and sexual relationships, to be content in those things as well. And so as we look at this contentment, this idea of what it is, it's saying, I understand and that keeps me calm instead of okay whatever i'm just going to i'm just going to go along with this what we see is that contentment is trust in god's providence his promises his provision and his precious love it's it's resting it's trusting that word trust and refuge go together it's taking refuge in the truth that God's providence, what he has provided for you is enough, that his promises are sufficient, that his provision is secure, and that his precious love is satisfied. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that goes like this. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. I wonder where you are in this, friend. Do you have God? Is God a part of your life? I listened to Vance Havner, a message that he preached, and he talked about Satan coming up to a follower of Jesus. And Satan comes up to the follower of Jesus and says, listen, you better denounce Christ or I'm going to take all this stuff away from you. And the believer looks at Satan and says, you can't take anything away from me. I don't own anything. Everything I have belongs to God and comes from God. 
And so Satan comes back and he says, well, if you follow me, then I'll give you everything you want. And, and the believer looks at Satan and says, you can't give me anything. Everything I want, everything I need comes to me from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And Vance Havner says in his typical way, what are you going to do with a fellow like that? What are you going to do with someone who realizes that I don't have anything that hasn't come to me from God and I don't need anything that God hasn't provided. See, the one who has God and everything else has no more than the one who has God alone. And I know some of you are scared. I know some of you are anxious. I know some of you are frustrated. And I know some of you are loving this. There's some of you who just love these opportunities, and I think that's great. And it's okay that we feel these, these things and feel this way. But listen, in the midst of all of this, could I urge you to be content, to rest in the fact that even if you had all these other things that may feel like they've been taken away from you, even if you had all those things, you'd have no more than you have just having God. The most amazing thing that you could have. So, let's let brotherly love continue. Let's, let's bring worship that's pleasing to God as we look at ways that we can extend brotherly love to those we know, that we can somehow be hospitable to those that, that we may not know, those who are strangers, that we are, that we are mindful of the ones who are suffering as if we're suffering with them, that we're, we're seeing marriage as precious and, and we're keeping sex within that union and that we're content with what God has provided. That's so what for this week? How is true brotherly love continuing in the midst of this pandemic response? How is it revealing Christ to those who are not yet part of the family? And how's God calling you to step it up a little bit in your life with this? What are some things he might be calling you to do that would exhibit brotherly love to others? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of this passage. Thank you for the uh, truth of your word, Lord, and the blessing that it is for us to be able to look at it and study it. And you know each one of us, Lord. You know where we are in the midst of this. So I pray, God, that you'd touch each heart with your truth, that you'd help us to realize that Jesus is enough. He's enough for each of us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I'd like to offer a, a benediction for us, the benediction from Hebrews again. And after the benediction, if you were not able to be part of the communion service that we had here at church, the drive-in communion service, I'll be taking just a couple of minutes to help talk us through a communion service that you can have at home. The benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, 
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I miss you. I'm praying for you. And uh, I look forward to hearing how you're using this week for work, witness, and worship. As I said, if you want to hang tight, we'll take communion together. So it's the first weekend of the month. And it's a weekend when we look at taking communion. And uh, you probably have your handout from last month, or, or maybe you can download it. It came in the constant contact. But it's a time for us to remember the amazing sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. Um, I'd urge you, you know, you, you can do this at your own pace now. Uh, and so maybe stop and, and read through Isaiah 53 and consider how Isaiah 53 looked forward to the sacrifice of Jesus. Communion is for those of us who've come to a place where we've trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We've come to a place where we've understood that he, he came and lived and died and gave his life for us. And that as we come to God and, we, and we're drawn by him to realize our sin has separated us from God, and we're able to, to ask him to forgive us. And through Jesus Christ, that's possible. And so communion is a time where we take bread and we take a cup. And, uh, and we take those and we remember that God took on flesh and that Jesus had a real body. And then that body, our sin was placed as he died on the cross. And as he died on the cross, he shed his blood. And his shed blood paid the price, the redemption, because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So as you prepare to take Isaiah 53, I urge you to read that. But what it says is, it was the Lord's will to crush him and to put him, and, and to, put him to grief. Um, and it says that by his wounds, we are healed. By the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. So Lord, as we prepare to take communion wherever we are. I pray, Father, that as we do that, you'll remind us that the bread represents your body and the cup represents your blood that was shed for us. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for saving us. And as we take this communion, we look forward to that time where we'll take it with you in your presence. God, I pray for each of the family units, each of the groups that are taking the communion together after this prayer closes. I pray that it would be a sweet time for them together and a sweet time for you as you watch them and as you are blessed by the worship that comes as we remember your sacrifice. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining the service. I'm going to release you to go ahead and do communion however you'd like there in your home with the bread and the cup. God bless. Mm -hmm.